you would turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Peter, chapter 1. If you're using the Bibles there in, in the chairs in front of you, it's on page 1018. If you have your own Bible, 2 Peter's right after 1 Peter. You can find it there. And we're going to jump in this morning to God's Word for us. So this is 2 Peter Chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. Hear now the word of our God. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. This is God's Word. Please pray with me. Father, we do thank You that You have rescued us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and that Your Spirit is at work in us and that you've brought us here this day to worship and to praise you and to hear your word and to uh, receive um, the Lord's Supper that you've provided for us. And so that as we do these things, we pray that you would help us, that we would fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and that we would be changed. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Reminders. Everyone needs them, right? This morning, most of us, there are some of you that you're not normal, um, you don't need one, but most of us needed an alarm clock this morning to remind us that it was time to wake up and to get out of bed. Maybe you had a little calendar reminder that popped up after that that said, hey, go to church. Maybe it said go to early service and you missed it and you're here now, but hey, we're glad you're here. Reminders. Maybe you have them on your calendar that you've got a birthday coming up or a family member has a birthday or there's a particular event that's coming or an anniversary to celebrate. Picture albums. They are reminders of things that have already happened where we can look back and we can see what that day was like many years ago. If you're going to the grocery store tomorrow, you're probably going to make a list. So that list will remind you of the things that you need to get at the store. Perhaps you're like me and you've contributed to keeping the post-it note people in business. Uh, A couple of you said that you've joined me in that quest and we'll just keep doing that. Uh, Those are reminders to help us know of the things that are to come. And so as good as our memories may be and as smart as we may think we are, we all need reminders. And Peter knew that his readers, that his hearers, that they needed reminders Second Peter is way better than a post-it note because it doesn't simply tell us what's coming up this week or even remind us of something that's already happened. But this letter reminds us and it directs us to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to our hope in life and death, to the one who has rescued us from our sins and has called us to live according to his holy purpose, the one who has made a way for us to follow him into his eternal kingdom. 
And so Peter today has some reminders for us. And so what are those reminders? What are, what are the things that we need to be reminded of as we look at this passage before us this morning? And the first thing we'll see is this, is that we need to be reminded of the qualities of truth. These qualities, as Peter says in verse 12, he wants to remind them of. He says, Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. And so we want to ask the question, well, that's there in this passage. What is he talking about? Well, these qualities is what he's already mentioned in the rest of the letter, starting at the beginning of the chapter. In verse 1, Peter announced that those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ have received the righteousness of Christ. Those who are justified by faith alone in Christ alone. And then he says in verse 3 that if that's true of us and we are in Christ, that the divine power of God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That we have his very great and precious promises. And that we've been called to live out our faith with the qualities that we see in verses 4 and 5 and then beyond. Qualities like virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. That these are the qualities that God has called us to demonstrate as those who belong to Him. And Peter says here, hey, you know these qualities. You've been established in the truth that you have. But I'm still going to send you a reminder. Why do we need reminding? Now, I don't know if this has ever happened to you in your home. This is purely hypothetical, by the way. But let's say you're talking to a teenager who may or may not be related to you. And you, you say to them something ineffective. Hey, remember, don't forget to do your homework. Or hey, remember, don't forget to clean your room. And hypothetically, the response comes back. Yeah, Dad, I know. But it's longer than that. You know, no, it just kind of keeps going. Now we can revisit what the rest of that conversation is like later, uh, after that at another time. But Peter says here that he knows that they know these things. But he's still going to tell them again and again and again. Why? Well, a few reasons here. One is that, believe it or not, we are prone to forget. We are prone to forget. And so therefore, Peter's going to remind us again and again and again. And we need that reminder. We'll talk more about that later. Another reason that ties into last week's sermon is assurance. Note that it says here, you are established in the truth that you have. Remember last week, Pastor Wilson talked about the assurance we have that our calling and election are from God and that He is in work, at work in us to confirm that calling and election as we demonstrate and practice the qualities that we've talked about already in this letter. Now Peter says, you know these qualities. You have the truth of the Word of God. You are established in it. He's reminding us once again of the tremendous assurance we have as those who belong to God. So the response for his readers and for us is not like, yeah, I got it, I already know it, I know, right? That's not our response. But it's to say, yes, I do know. Thank you for reminding me. 
Thank you for telling me again and again and again how much I need the Lord Jesus. And then for us to continue to dig into the inexhaustible riches of wisdom, truth, and grace that are in the Word of God that He has given to us. And to be reminded continually about all that He has done for us and our calling to live according to His Word. So Peter says, take what you already have. Take the Word of God. Take the apostles' teaching. It's yours. You're established in it. Be firm in it. Friends, there's great assurance here. We have everything we need. The gospel that's been given to us and to stand firm and be rooted in it. And this will be needed because we'll see in the coming weeks in this letter that Peter's going to address that there's false teachers that are kind of hanging around that are lurking. There's alternative gospels being presented so the need will be great for God's people to plant their feet firmly in the truth that they already have. The Word of God to continue to live by faith and demonstrate the qualities of truth that God is working in them. As we uh, leave this first point as a side door application, I simply want to say here that Peter's approach of repetition and reminders, as one commentator noted I was reading this week, is good for us to practice. Letters teaching your own children, or perhaps you're discipling a friend or a neighbor, you're helping in a ministry, and you have the opportunity to pass on the Word of God to others. The use of repetition and reminders, even as we sang this morning, continuing to call us back to the truth of God's Word, to keep us firmly planted in the good news of the Gospel, that over and over and over again to repeat these things uh, is a good practice for us because it helps us to internalize it and to own it and to claim it in our hearts. The use of the catechisms and the creeds. Later on, we'll recite the Apostles' Creed when we prepare for the Lord's table, that these are time-tested reminders that we can repeat and recall over and over again so that when trials come, when adversity hits, where things get really hard and difficult, we're not to be swayed. We're to be rooted firmly, planted in the truth that is ours in Christ. So first, we need to be reminded of that. The qualities of truth that we have in Christ. Secondly, Peter's going to show us that we need to be reminded that we are heaven-bound and our time here is to be filled with gospel urgency. We are heaven-bound and our time here is to be filled with gospel urgency. Verse 13, Peter says, as long as he's here, he's going to stir them up with these reminders. Peter here is anticipating that his time may soon be coming when he will go and be with the Lord. In verse 14, he says, he will be putting off his body soon and will no doubt be entering the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ that he referenced in verse 11. Now, this is not the easiest thing to talk about or be reminded of. That Peter here is talking of his impending death, but also reminding us that death is a reality for all of us. But rather than Peter communicating despair, he's urgently reminding them and us of the good news of the gospel. That we have an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ through faith in him. That he is preparing to put off his body because when his time comes, 
he knows he will immediately pass into glory. And then at the final resurrection, he will receive a new body and he will be with the Lord Jesus forever. There are several places in the Scriptures that testify to this, that Christ has come, Christ has died, Christ has risen, and if we are, if we are united to Christ by faith, we too will rise with Him. Here's a few of them. 1 Thessalonians 4.14 For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. 1 Corinthians 15 I tell you, brothers, Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Verse 53, For this perishable body must, be, must put on the imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, the mortal puts on immortality. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, he says, We believe, so also we speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. And in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Later, we'll confess together in the Apostles' Creed that we believe in the resurrection of the body, that we believe in the life everlasting. This body that we have, the scripture says, is a tent. This is not our permanent home. And Peter here is beginning to pack up his tent in this passage. And he's ready to head to his true home. But he has a few urgent reminders that he wants to leave with us before he does. Friends, we need to say this loud and clear this morning. And you need to know this. Your life does not end. Would you be putting, being put in a space in the ground and a little bit of dirt thrown on top of you? That is not the end. Right now on our commute to church, our new little drive to church, uh, when we get, hit that corner of McClung in California, there's a sign there. I know you've seen it. I don't know if you've called the number, but I know you've seen it. Maple Hill Cemetery. Spaces for sale. You've seen this, right? Our neighbor here, Maple Hill Cemetery. And I want to be clear, they do a great job they provide a very important service, valuable spaces to remember uh, loved ones who have gone before. But I also need you to know this this morning. That space in the ground, that is not the end. In fact, where Peter is going and packing up his tent and getting ready to go, where those in Christ go, in the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, there is ample space available. And guess what? It is free. Because it has been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ that he shed for us on the cross where he lived and he died for our sins and he rose again and he ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of the throne of God and he always lives to intercede for us and he will come again to bring us home. And that's where our hope is. And that's where, that's where we're heading. 
And that's life eternal with Him. And then we see that all through these letters of Peter. There's this glorious anticipation of heaven, of being bound for the promised land. Yet it leads us to urgency in the here and now. So Peter says, he's going to keep reminding them that he wants to stir them up. There's kind of another way of saying he wants to wake them up and get them going with these gospel reminders. Peter's bucket list did not consist of a trip to the Bahamas or meeting a great celebrity or eating a certain food. But it was passing on the truth of the whole gospel, calling people to trust in Jesus, to follow Jesus, to live for Jesus. Back in the 1990s, John Piper preached a sermon that he turned into a book. Uh, that's kind of a, a thing he did, has done several times. But this particular sermon is very well known. It's called Don't Waste Your Life. And uh, I've got a few extra copies of the book. I encourage, in particular, young people. I get to say young people now. I'm getting old. Um, young people, I encourage you to read this book. I have a few copies. I'd love to, to give you one. Uh, but there's a section that I want to share with you today that it, it steps on our toes, uh, but it reminds us of the urgency that is needed for following Christ. He says this, I will tell you what a tragedy is. I will show you how to waste your life. Consider a story from February 1998 edition of Reader's Digest, which tells about a couple who took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida. I don't know if I pronounced that right. Where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. At first when I read it, I thought it might be a joke. A spoof on the American dream. But it wasn't. Tragically, this was the dream. Come to the end of your life, your one and only precious God-given life, and let the last great work of your life, before you give an account to your Creator, be this. Playing softball and collecting shells. Picture them before Christ at the great day of judgment. Look, Lord, see my shells. That, John Piper says, is a tragedy. And people today are spending billions of dollars to persuade you to embrace that tragic dream. Over against that, I put my protest. Don't buy it. Don't waste your life. Peter, I think, would agree with John Piper here. There's urgency to follow Jesus until the last possible moment before we go home. That's what Peter's doing. He's packing up his tent, but he's passing on the things of the gospel urgently before he goes home. Earlier, uh, if you'll look back with me in our scripture reading, we looked at John 21. It's the conversation that Jesus has with Peter after his resurrection. And he restores Peter. He asks him three times to feed and care for his sheep. And then he ends it by saying, basically, Peter, one day you are going to die and it will not be pleasant. But I want you also to notice how the passage ends. So Jesus, after restoring Peter and telling him about his impending death, he says to Peter, follow me. So the last words that Jesus says to Peter are the same as the first words he said to Peter years earlier when he first saw Peter. And he said, follow me. 
But then here in this case, Jesus says, follow me. Where is he about to go at that time? Well, he's about to ascend into heaven. And so when Jesus says, follow me, he means follow me in life. He means follow me in death. He means follow me into my eternal kingdom because I've made a way for you. And you're united to me by faith, so follow me there as well. Friends, when Jesus says, follow me, it is a calling to us, but it's also a promise from him. He's done everything necessary for us to do so and to trust him by faith and to follow him. So he's called us to follow him in life and death and into his eternal kingdom, that all the promises of heaven are ours in Christ Jesus the glorious inheritance that he gives to those who are his. And he will get us there. He will hold us fast. He will keep us to the end. So the urgency we see here, with heaven securely in front of us, Christ having gone before us, and also with us now, is that we must follow him. And so the question for us this morning, are you following Jesus? Are you passing on the reminders to others to follow Jesus? What do you want people to remember in the end? Are you with one eye on heaven and feet firmly established in the truth that you already have in God's Word, following Jesus and urgently passing on the reminders of the Gospel? That's what Peter calls us to here in this passage. The third thing we need to be reminded of this morning as we prepare to come to the table is this. That we need to be reminded to remember. Peter says, I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. So Peter's going to do whatever it takes in order to get to his hearers and to his readers and eventually all the way down the, the centuries to us to get us the Scriptures, to leave the Word of God in the hands and hearts and minds of His readers and listeners, which that goes for us now here a couple thousand years later. He knew the importance of remembering. We see this all throughout the Scriptures, the call for God's people to remember. In the Old Testament Israel, the people of God were called to remember their deliverance from Egypt. They were called to remember the Passover, to remember the Sabbath, to remember that God had made them, to remember all that God had done for them. This remembrance was not simply a post-it note to remind them what had happened, but it was to lead them to worship and to repentance and to faithful living as God's people. The Bible also speaks a lot about God remembering. God remembers His covenant. God remembers His people. And because God remembers his covenant and God remembers his people, he also declares in other places that there is one thing he does not remember. That he does not remember your sins. Because he's remembered his covenant, because he's re remembered his promise, because Christ has come and laid down his life for us, God does not remember our sins. He's provided salvation for us through the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who takes away the sins of the world. 
He passes over our sins because Christ's body was broken and his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And so Jesus says, do this. Take this meal. Take this bread. Take this cup. Do this in remembrance of me. Proclaim my death until I come again. So friends, this table is before us today. It's to remind us. And we're going to do this again and again and again. Because we need the reminder. We need to look to Christ, our Savior. We need to remember His great love for us. His life, His death, His resurrection for us. And we remember what He has promised, that He will bring us all the way home. That this meal before us today, yes, it calls us to remember, to look back at what Christ has done. It also calls us to look forward to the feast that awaits in His eternal kingdom. And so this morning, let's come. Let's celebrate. Let's worship. Let's continue to see our need for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and all He has done for us. And let's come to the table and remember that we may glorify God. We may enjoy Him forever as His people. Please pray with me. Father, we ask now that you would again remind us of our need for Jesus. His body broken, his blood shed for us. He's done everything necessary to secure our salvation, to bring us into his eternal kingdom, and he has called us to follow him. So we pray that you would help us. We are weak, but you are strong. We know that you are with us. We know that you are faithful to your promises. So help us to remember and help us to depend upon you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.